This is the Sharp End Podcast. I'm Ashley and I'm your hostess for the show. This podcast is brought to you by the American Alpine Club and sponsored by Mammut. Designed and developed in the Swiss Alps, Mammut has been making the finest alpine equipment since the 1860s. Driven by a continuous quest for innovation, Mammut's technical clothing, footwear, climbing gear, avalanche safety, and alpine equipment are distinguished by the highest quality, functionality, and safety. They embody Swiss technology and perfection. Mammut, absolute alpine. Thank you to the Colorado Hour Bound School and Sunto for the additional support. If you would like to support this podcast, head to the American Alpine Club's website and purchase a Sharp End t-shirt or ball cap. Help me spread the word by repping some of the Sharp End gear. On the last episode of the Sharp End podcast, I spoke with Laura McGladry about stress injuries. And for me, it was really an incredibly powerful episode. I spent weeks marinating in the things she said, so I wanted to expand the topic to one more episode. And on this episode, I talk with a woman named Star Jameson, an avid outdoors woman who gets after it in the mountains. I admire her a lot. I admire her adventures, her bravery, and her courage for telling us her story and personal experience with stress injuries. I welcome Ms. Star Jameson to The Sharpened. My name is Star Jameson, and I currently live in Snowmass Village, Colorado. Um, I work here for the town. I'm a parks and trails manager and really most passionate about skiing and mountain biking and I get to do both of those really in my career. You're an outdoor woman. Yes, I am. Perfect. <laughs> um, did you happen to listen to the, the last episode of the Sharpen podcast? I did. And what a powerful podcast. Um, you know, listening to that, um, it really resonated with me of many um, experiences in my life. Mm-hmm experiences relating to stress injuries? Yes. Um, and you know, these, um, so I really thought about Laura's podcast, um, you know, and preparing what I was going to talk about. When I say that I've incidents that really disabled me mentally. And in my job, I could no longer take the phone calls that I needed or the, the call outs without being triggered. And, you know, I really eventually had to quit that job. I was also um, a victim in an accident and witnessed those around me and one being a close friend who was affected by my accident. And most recently, I was a first responder and I witnessed the loved one of an injured party. Um, and this was the husband of the injured victim. And he turned pale, dazed, and bewildered. And right now, you know, I'm curious how he's doing. Having quite a few of these in my life, um, the one event which I wanted to talk about was on March 30th of 2012. And it was, it was a beautiful, warm spring day that I lost one of my best friends to an avalanche. Where were you? 
Um, I was in the San Juan Mountains, and we were staying um, at a hut um, for a couple evenings um, down in the San Juans. Um, I was one of four in a party um, skiing that day, and we had all split up um, into different groups. And um, I was one of four who knew my friend, and the other three had just met him, essentially. I knew everyone in the group, but um, I was the connecting piece. Um, I was the one female out of the three males, which typically tends to be the the quintessential group um, that have these, that have, um, you know, accidents. So I was told. Um, so, um, you know, in saying this, I was one of four in the party that um, attempted to rescue uh, my friend without success. Um, you know, if you're interested in the details of the accident, um, those can be viewed on the Colorado Avalanche Information Center's page. But really, I'm here to talk about my experience through the event, which includes the trauma and PTSD and other stress injuries that I encountered. Um, the details that I really include, um, I think, are what led to the stress injuries. And basically, I just am telling my story and how I got through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... So March 30th, 2012, uh, the four of you guys are, are out backcountry skiing and an avalanche occurs and uh, you can't save this one person. Correct. Correct. And then, yeah, how has that, how has that affected you? Well, um, I would, I'd like to just start with you know, talking about that rescue yeah, um, and, and the things that happened during that, that I think really what, what did trigger a lot of those, um, stress injuries. But during the rescue, I remember certain things like time, um, the amount of time that my friend had to survive. And I remember 10 minutes and 15 minutes going by, and just the size of the avalanche and the bed surface and how it was nothing like where I had practiced my beacon drills. Um, it was such difficult terrain um, to move around in. And it was just taking so much longer to do the search. I um, mean, you know, we practice these skills, but um, in the real life scenario, it's much different. And helicopters were flying overhead. Um, you know, and through my, through the process, I was just thinking there's multiple helicopters. Why aren't they landing? You know, and all of this going on in my mind. Um, when they did land, um, people started searching and they didn't communicate with us. Um, the party, there were two of us at the top and one, um, that had moved further down and nobody was really communicating with us or really even making eye contact for that matter. It was just the scattering of people and no one really, um, talking and it was just really confusing. Um, you know, I just kept focusing my mind and bring me back to rescue scenarios that I'd done before in a class. And I had just taken a class two months prior to that, my avalanche two class. You know, and I had all of that going on while also feeling like the worst emotional pain that one could really feel at that time. Mm -hmm. So by the time I reached my friend's body, um, there were a lot of just really uncomfortable stares all around me. And 
I understand this because no one really knows what to say in these unfortunate scenarios. And I just felt this really uncomfortable shame while also loss and guilt, um, you know, while I was staring at the search and rescue team and all the other people that were down there um, in the event. And I just remember someone approaching me and they asked me the details, which I'm not even really sure what I said at that time. And I just remember embracing my friend who had performed CPR and other people, you know, that were there. And I was given a coat and I was put on a helicopter to head back to the hut that we were staying at that night. And I just remember screaming and crying and not wanting to leave my friend's body there on the snow. So, you know, when the helicopter dropped us off at the hut, um, no one had told the hut trip organizer what had happened. Um, She was also my best friend, and she was the victim's girlfriend. She had just been there patiently waiting um, because a a lot of the other people there at the hut were flown to the scene to help. Um, she had no idea what had happened and I had to give her the news. So that night was one of the worst nights of my life. Um, it was like being in a haunted house is really the only way I could describe it with each room. Um, people were screaming and crying and, you know, all of us were really having nightmares and, um, or if you could even sleep um, through crying. Um, I immediately jumped into this role of calling um, my friend's family and starting to figure out the logistics as best as I could. Um, This was one of the hardest challenges um, to call. I didn't have my cell phone at the time, so I called the only number I had that was stored in my head, and that was my ex-boyfriend who had been an eight-year ski partner and a mutual friend of the victim. I called him to acquire the number of my friend's brother. So this was, at that time, the third experience with shame and guilt of that day. Um, And I just remember that he said the last... I think it was the last thing he said when he got off the phone was don't read anything on the internet, you know, and, and don't listen to other people. And, and I actually took that advice for about a year and a half. Hmm. Um, so we, you know, none of us had really slept that night or if we did, it was very uncomfortable. Um, so I decided to drive because um, I had someone else drive my truck and I drove my friend's truck back to his home, you know, and there was the scent lingering in his truck and his cell phone sitting next to me and, you know, other random things that he had just touched like 24 hours prior to all this. His home was also the place that I like to call home where I could find, you know, a lot of people who love me and supported me and just looking back at that. I think that's an important decision that I made. And I think it's important if if anyone goes through something like this, that you seek out a supportive community community immediately. Um, Because I had a lot of memory loss um, around that time. And I'm really thankful that I trusted the people, you know, that I was around um, in this time of grief. Um, So, 
you know, I, I must have stayed there for, I think, three days and tried to drive back home, um, which was about two and a half hours away at the time. And I think it took me 12 hours between the tears and, and just realizing it probably wasn't safe that I was driving and feeling that way as I just, um, you know, now I, I, I had such memory loss that I realized I wasn't really in my head um, where I should have been. So this is the, the hardest, which was leaving that comfortable place and just realizing um, that we all needed to grieve in our own way and I needed to go back home and go back to work. Um, and so once I left and things started to come up again, like the shame and the guilt and something I just won't ever forget is that one day at work that I sprinted to the library, which was right next door to my office. And I was just sitting on the floor with avalanche education books on my lap, just looking through the rescue sections over and over and just tears pouring down my face. Um, and my office was also right next to the flight for life pad, um, which I realized that each flight that came in and out was triggering me into this paralyzed state at work. Um, a ski partner of mine had come into my work and asked me to ski with him again and to get back in the saddle. And I think I said to him that I just didn't trust him as a ski partner. And, um, you know, I'd love to ask him that. But um, I've since also lost him. Um, he was one of three ski partners that I had lost that year. So the the out of the out of mind, out of body, the disconnect, the disassociation that I just spoke about, or the emotional imbalance, um, that really lasted about two weeks. Um, I remember the day that it disappeared. I had practiced yoga and, and this really intense group meditation. And this meditation was focused on letting go. And when I got home that evening, I practiced again. And I just really focused on letting go and saying goodbye to my friend. And that feeling of disassociation lifted in this physical feeling um, that all that stress-related injury um, just sustained the PTSD, um, my disconnection with my friends, because I just I couldn't support them in their grieving process for our mutual friend. Um, I had anxiety, I had nightmares, and I had many sleepless nights. I spent a lot of time seeking out people who had been through a similar scenario because I really just wanted to connect and I wanted to know how they were and what they were doing to heal themselves because I just, I wanted to find this common ground and I wanted to work through this because I felt so alone. Um, so my first response in this process was, um, just so basic as to how can I just be happy and how do I do that? That's such um, a powerful question to ask yourself. It is. <laughs> it is because I had to just root down and just, and just figure out how to bring that back in my life. Um, I quit my job. I felt like it was toxic. Um, I found a job where I would just be around happy people. Um, I knew I needed to seek out help, and of course other people were telling me that as well. 
And um, I had seen a therapist for the previous job that I had spoke of earlier um, and the, the trauma that I had dealt with in my job. And, and ironically, she had just lost a family member um, to an avalanche that season. Therefore, she wasn't really available to discuss this with me. So I just decided to go to the first person available at the local center, and I just consulted with a, a general therapist, and um, I didn't really feel like this was necessarily beneficial. Um, I just felt like I was talking, and there was no connection at all. Um, I wanted to talk to someone who'd really been through this. Um, so I thought I would just tackle many of these issues um, myself with education and exposure. Um, and as I was creating this plan um, and what I was going to do, um, how to be happy and how to work through this, um, I had another close friend dying in avalanche. Um, so this was number three in less than a year, as I mentioned. Um, I didn't really have the time to catch up to to grieve and process for all three of these accidents. So I was basically keeping my head above water and doing what I could. Um, I just remember this numb feeling um, and, and then the, the same experience of just the crying and the uncontrollable crying when I was called that night by the rescuer and his girlfriend. Um, Luckily, I had started my plan, and I was going to leave the next day to tackle a lot of these emotional imbalances that I was feeling. So I knew I was just going to walk away from this third um, friend's death, and I was going to move away, and I was going to start tackling these things by myself. So I seeked out employment to learn more about snow science, um, I moved to an area with a safer snowpack. This helped my shame, and it also enabled me to stay connected with my community. I felt like if I had more confidence in decision-making, I felt like this would allow for less fear when I entered the backcountry. Next, I worked around helicopters in a positive environment. There was laughter and excitement around the helicopters rather than triggers and traumas. Um, I also surrounded myself with strangers um, who didn't ask me how I was doing or encouraged me to talk about my problems. And honestly, I know that they were just a distraction. I left all my friends and family to tackle this just solo and heal myself um, to be able for all those friends. I wanted to just be available for them when they needed to come to me. Um, because at this point, I now had three separate groups of friends dealing with all of this. Um, I, was, I was very aware that I was emotionally unavailable for them and my family um, because these conversations, when they would come up, and they still made me feel extreme shame and guilt. So at that time, I was gone about six months, and I felt like this was my self-therapy. Um, I thought I was healing or healed. And I prepared to talk to friends 
I prepare myself to really to talk to friends again. Um, another avalanche happened immediately when I returned and it brought up such horrible memories and nightmares and anxiety. And I realized at that time I, I wasn't healed. I still had a lot of work to do, um, with myself. Um, and during that event, people who had been um, survivors of avalanches or the rescuers, um, they were calling me and they were asking me if I was okay. And then it would turn into these questions. Um, what symptoms w- was I having? And it, it almost felt like we were forming this network or discussion group on all of our feelings. Um, And I realized those people were dealing with stress injuries after 14 years after their events. And I really did not want to go through, you know, these, these traumas, this, you know, these nightmares and all of this for the next 14 years of my life. And, you know, I'm not sure why, but for some reason, um, you know, people called me and just freely talked to me. And, you know, I listened, but I realized I just had a hard time talking to them. Um, I would still break down, and I, I wasn't able to really give them the support that I wanted to give. Um, and I knew I needed help for myself, um, and that I couldn't run away again like I did before. Um, I had a friend who went to school and she, um, had told me about EMDR, which is an eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a, um, psychotherapy treatment and it was originally designed to alleviate the distress associated with traumatic memories. Mm. Um, um, people that go through this, um, the effect of distress is relieved and negative beliefs are reformulated and psychological arousal is reduced. Um, And I just felt like this is exactly what I needed to move forward, you know, with my life because I just didn't want to break down. I wanted to be able to talk about this event and help others. So um, about a year after... Um, the avalanche I was involved with, I really started processing um, not only the avalanche, but my other two friends' avalanche deaths. So I signed up for two days a week for six months of this EMDR therapy. And, you know, it really worked for me. Um, I was able to talk about these accidents without having um, those triggers. And I was really able to um, communicate with others and help them and and talk about my process. Um, I had a lot of information um, for victims and for the family members um, that I was finally able to talk to, you know, about their sons. Um, you know, I had a lot of, um, stories from survivors, um, but I also had a lot of questions myself. Um, so during my therapy, I researched online and I asked others if they had found anything. Um, and there just were not many resources out there for people who were dealing with what we were dealing with, um, I found a lot of support groups for veterans who had dealt with trauma and PTSD and loss of their community. 
you know, which is similar to this, these accidents, these adventure accidents that um, happen to all of us, um, you know, possibly at one time or another. Um, there are a couple of websites where therapists are starting um, to specialize in therapy for mountaineering events. Um, but I just found that there's just a lack of resources for our communities um, and what we are really looking for, which is common ground and how do we move forward to deal with these emotional imbalances and triggers, um, how to rejoin our communities again without fear, shame, or guilt, um, and, and even suicide that people attempt sometimes after these events. Um, so I think a large part of my processing and, and what I did is that I decided to start um, an organization or an, it's a nonprofit that um, really, you know, I wanted to start this small piece of a large puzzle, um, creating a platform just in providing education and resources and hopefully answers um, to questions and to lead people to a counselor or a therapist, um, just helping others um, because it certainly helped me through my grief and processing. Um, so I have a website that I started um, Survivors of Outdoor Adventures and Recovery, which is soreforlife.org. Very cool. You know, I, I feel fortunate that I, that I had that head strength to, to and to, honestly, just to be a life learner and to want to understand emotions and feelings and to go through this. And, and I realize not everyone's like that. Well, you're a strong woman who, you know, who sought, um, sought answers. That's hard to do. It is. And, you know, when people were asking me questions and I wanted to be able to, you know, give them answers and I didn't have them. And, and it really was, it enabled me to focus and to, you know, to focus my energy somewhere. Exactly. It puts your energy towards something that is is positive versus, you know, drowning yourself in negative self-talk, like shame and guilt and fear and um, blame, you know, all those things. Instead of attacking yourself, you've moved the energy towards education. Right. Right. And I think that's so important. And um, what does, uh, what resources does your website offer? I have a list of um, types of therapy that are out there for people um, and just the information surrounding that therapy so people can go in and, and read because I know, as I mentioned, I just went to a general therapist and, and felt like I was just talking to them. And at that time, that's just not what I needed. Um, I needed really someone who understood what I was talking about. And so I've listed um, a few therapists on my site that um, specialize either in EMDR or actually have been through um, events um, similar to that, climbing or just adventure accidents. Um, so really um, can connect with someone. 
Um, I also have um, just resources about, you know, after the fact of starting foundations or um, educational resources such as, um, you know, Laura McGladry that you had on there on your podcast last month, um, as well as Search and Rescue, um, you know, what they do and what they do for our communities. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good website. It's a good start. Um, you know, to provide these resources and education for people. And I have a lot of um, just topics, um, anything from meditation and breathing or just getting through grief um, or, um, you know, a certain outdoor industry um, topics or guides or um, articles from the Avalanche Review, um, just personal experiences from other people. Mm-hmm. What, and, and what was the website one more time? It is soarforlife.org. Soarforlife.org. And that's spelled S-O-A-R? The number four, life.org. Well, thank you, Star. Thank you. Thank you for really just giving me the time and space, you know, to talk about this experience. And I really hope this helped, you know, it just help others at least know that they're not alone because I just, I remember that feeling and just to understand, you know, their emotions and physical and emotional barriers. They're, it's normal. It's completely normal after an accident. Um, and even, you know, can help be reduced. Um, like as Laura spoke about with psychological first aid or emotional risk management, which I think is such a powerful and important topic, um, having been through a lot of these events. Thank you, Star Jameson, for being on the show. Thank you to Mammut for being the headlining sponsor. And thank you to the Colorado Howard Brown School and Sunto for being contributing sponsors. The Colorado Howard Brown School has been changing lives through challenge and discovery for more than 55 years. They offer wilderness expeditions in Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, and Ecuador. Courses range in 8 to 81 days in length for ages 12 plus and include backpacking, mountaineering, canyoneering, rafting, and rock climbing. Visit www.cobs.org to plan your next adventure. For over 80 years, Suntu has developed the tools to help mountain athletes safely navigate new territory and train for major expeditions. Suntu devices are chosen by leading alpinists worldwide for their durability, accuracy, and ease of use. Suntu watches are handcrafted in Finland and the word Sunto comes from a Finnish word meaning direction. Learn more at Sunto.com. And remember, play hard and be smart.